0: If you believe God is faithful, would you say amen? amen? Because he's faithful, we can say you're a good, good father. And we can declare creeds. Like, I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the great three in one. We get to explore. Um, a passage in Romans this morning. By the way, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and take it out and turn to Romans chapter 6. And if you don't own one, there's free Bibles in the back. I want you to pick one up on your way out today. If you don't own a Bible, I'd love to put one in your hand. And and they're on that brown table back there. We get to explore in Romans um, promises this good, good Father made to us, the commitments that he made this morning, things that are reminding us of who we are, So I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful for our our live audience that's watching online right now because we get the privilege of being reminded from God's word the things that he has said about himself and what he's committed to us. So before we get into that, I'm going to ask for a couple of volunteers. I, I, I need to review a little bit with you, but I'm going to have some volunteers help me this morning. And after I get some volunteers that I want to pray with you as we step into this text. So here's what I need. I need three volunteers who are willing to read three different Bible verses for us this morning. Okay, so I need just one person. Would you agree one person to read? If not, I'll just stare at you guys forever. Okay, I've got one. Jerry, you're going to read for us. Okay, I need you to read Romans 6:23 in just a few minutes. I'll let you know when. Romans 6:23, Jerry, and then somebody to read Hebrews 7:26 and 27. Who's going to read that for us? Okay, Bruce, thank you. So that'll be Romans 7, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 7:26 and 27, Bruce. And then one more, First Peter 3:18. Up in the balcony. Okay. We need one person, and you're gonna to have to read good and loud when I ask you guys to do that. So that'll be 1 Peter three eighteen. All right. So I'll come back to that in just a minute. Let me pray with you, and then we're gonna jump into this. Father, we come before you right now, asking that you would do what only you can do, and you've promised. Not in the midst of only your great greatness and your faithfulness and your many, many other attributes that you'll meet us at the point of our need, but one of the things you told us about yourself is that you will teach us. So Father, we come before you in understanding of your greatness and your faithfulness, that you will be faithful and be the one who will guide us. So we ask for the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit right now, that you would be that teacher, that you would be the one who can speak to our hearts. You alone know what each person came in the door with this morning, Father. You alone know what each person watching online needs right now. And you can speak to that need. So God, I ask that you would do that. Where my words fall short, let your word reign supreme. Father, we pray for this in Jesus' matchless name. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, quick review for you. If you, if you missed uh, last week, uh, you didn't miss Romans because God took me off into uh, Philippians chapter 4. So let me bring you back into Romans where we were at uh, two weeks ago. In, in verse 3, we see Paul uses a phrase where he says, you're baptized into Christ Jesus. If you have your Bible open, you can see that yourself. You're looking at Romans 6, just look at verse 3, and he used that phrase, baptized into Christ. Now what's he talking about there? Well, he was looking back to the union in which we aligned ourselves with Jesus Christ when he died on the cross, when, when we aligned ourselves with him by saying, I believe in what Jesus did, he says we were aligned with him and, that, and therefore we were baptized into Christ Jesus. So as a result, I took you into Galatians uh, chapter 2, and I want you to see this on the screen, Galatians chapter 2, Paul used really, really strong language when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, can you imagine living in the first century and you receive a letter from someone who starts talking about being executed because in context if you're living in the first century that is how romans killed people they executed them through crucifixion and paul's using very deliberate strong language when he says i have been executed with jesus christ when did that happen how were we crucified well just as jesus was nailed to the cross We became like him when we said, I want forgiveness of my sins. I don't want to deal with my past anymore. I want a new beginning. My sin has held me too long. Jesus, I believe. Paul says in that moment, you were unified with Jesus Christ. So in verse 6, he transitions over to saying, knowing this, you know this, you're not the same. You're not the same person. Something has changed in you. Because you're unified with Jesus, you have a new life. Therefore, you have a new start. Therefore, you have a new heart. Therefore, you have a new strength and you have a new wisdom. Therefore, you have a new hope. So Scripture can really, truly say, as a result of all those things being true, we are holy. Amen, church? We are. Even if you don't feel like saying amen right now, Maybe you don't feel so holy in this moment. That's what this morning is about, is reminding you who you are, that you are righteous in the eyes of God. But the other hard truth that goes hand in hand with that is that we are still incarcerated in this fallen flesh, this broken down human body. Got a new spirit alive in Jesus, right, church? Okay, you don't sound like you believe it, Okay. We're alive in Jesus Christ. We've got a new spirit. But we still got this broken down flesh, right? We're still incarcerated because God hasn't taken us to eternity yet. So Paul says, you know this, verse 6. You know that you've got this new beginning. But the reality is we don't always feel that way. I told you two weeks ago, Part of having this new life, if you've ever wondered, am I really a believer? Am I actually saved? Part of having this new life is that you can measure it, right? Okay, so this is how I told you you can measure it. You can measure it in your own life because every growing Christian, every maturing Christian understands that the more we mature in Jesus Christ, the more we understand who we are, the more aware we are of the pervasiveness of sin, right? It's just like everywhere you're you're on high alert you're aware it's there but able to say in the midst of it that's not who I am anymore because I'm in Jesus I'm a new creation that's why Paul ended in verse 7 this is where we ended last time in verse 7 of of chapter 6 he who has died is freed from sin you might remember me telling you that the word freed that he used there was borrowed from the legal word world It, it meant to be exonerated you're standing before a judge Judge says you're guilty, but I'm declaring you not guilty. I'm setting you free. You've been exonerated. That's the word that he's using here. Okay, with all that in mind, let's go into verse 8 because Paul turns the corner here and he now presents a 30,000-foot view. Verse 8 says this, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. That's pretty great news, right? Okay, we're going to work on this. All right. (laughs) On three, I'm going to ask you to say amen, and you say it like your life depends on it. One, two, three, amen. Okay, so look at that verse again. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. That's pretty great news, right? Okay, (laughs) that is pretty great news, so check it this way. Jesus kills death. Maybe you've never heard that before. If, if I was saying it like my kids say it when they put something on Instagram or they put it on social media, they'd say, Jesus, period, kills, period, death, exclamation, 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 right? Okay, put that on social media today. Jesus kills death. You want to start a conversation with your friends? Say that. Jesus kills death because of what he did on the cross. It is the death of death. He's victorious over it for those who believe. So Paul's clarifying. You are identified not only with Jesus in his crucifixion, not only in his death because you were baptized with him when you said, I believe. You're also identified with him in his resurrection. What's Paul talking about here? Well, in context, for these first seven or eight verses that we've been looking at, he's talking about holy living. How do you live in such a way that matches with what you proclaim? God says you're righteous. How do I live like that? That's what he's focusing on. So I want you to bear down just on a couple words here in verse eight. Look with me on the screen. It's just these uh, six words. We shall also live with him. Now, that's a really emphatic statement, right? He's talking about living with him in righteousness now, meaning this moment in time, living with him in righteousness right now. It's the now factor of believing. It's something you don't have to wait for until eternity. Because if you died with Jesus to your sin, you're living with Jesus in the now, and you will also in the future in eternity. See, that very thing that's been trying to drag you under, before you were a believer in Jesus Christ, it was constantly fighting against you. That very thing that was trying to drag you down, Jesus has destroyed it. That's why Jesus kills death. Let me take you into verse 9 and show you what I mean. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. Uh, Two really big statements coming out of that verse in verse 9. We'll put them on the screen just so you can focus on them for just a minute. He says emphatically, never to die again. And the next thing he says in verse 9, no longer is master. Here's his point. Because we are raised with Jesus, because we're aligned with him, we too shall never die again. The death we were subject to, the thing that we did face, it's no longer master over you because Jesus killed death just as it's no longer master over him. Are you sleeping good at night? You should be because death is not your executioner. It's no longer what you face. You can sleep well at night if you belong to Jesus. God says, I got this. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So Paul's just hit a mountain top here, right? Coming to verse 10, it's just like a crescendo. It just keeps building and building and building. Here's what he's done for us. He's reminding us of what Jesus has done that no one else could do. So let me break down verse 10 with you. Just look closely on the screen. The death he, meaning Jesus, died, he died to sin once for all. If you believe that Jesus is God, would you say amen right now? Amen. Okay. Jesus is God. Because He's God, He has done what no one else could do. He alone has done what no one else could do when we're told that He died once for all. Muhammad can't die once for all. Buddha can't die once for all. In Hinduism, all the gods, small g's, can't die once for all. Only God can die once for all to deal with this issue forever, and it's extremely important that you understand that. Let me show you the two things you really need to pick up out of verse 10. Number one, Jesus died to sin. Now, we understand that truth from scripture because it says a lot of places, well, Jesus became sin even though he knew no sin we understand it was never master over him he was never conquered by sin he didn't live with it in the same way that we live with it now that causes people to create questions in their mind like this well if he never knew sin and he never had to fight against it then why would he be able to die to it because this is what i'm fighting against is how do i die to sin god says i'm holy and righteous but I don't always feel like it. How can Jesus die to something he never knew? Though the truth in the Bible is that God doesn't choose to tell us how exactly that happened. But what God is very clear about is that only a spotless lamb qualified to be the sacrifice against sin. Jesus is that spotless lamb. He's the one alone who's qualified to die for the sin of the world. So it's very clear that in, the, in whatever way he died, he died to sin. When he did that, believers also died to sin with him. But there's a bigger issue going on than that question that haunts people. This is where the Bible verses play in that I asked for someone to read earlier. So Jerry, I think you took the first one which was Romans chapter six. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. There's people in the balcony up above you and people online trying to listen, right? So I need you to stand up and read in your big outdoor voice, okay? And, and I'm going to ask you to just read the first half of verse 23. So Romans 6, 23, the first half, and then stop right there. For the wages of sin is death. Okay, for the wages of sin is death, if you didn't hear him. All right, so check this. If you sin all your life, and that sin is never dealt with, don't, don't sit down, man, stand back up, all right? I'll get you in just a second. The paycheck, the paycheck at your end of your life is death, Right? You sin all your life, the sin is never dealt with, the paycheck is death. So read the second half now, Jerry, big and loud. uh, Excellent, okay, that's a good commitment from God, right? Thanks. That's good, thank you, Jerry. So the free gift of God is eternal life. So because death is the penalty of sin, if you break the power of sin, you break the power of death. Therefore, Jesus, period, kills, period, death, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Jesus kills death because he destroyed sin when he died for it on the cross. That's number one. Number two, Jesus died to sin once for all. And many people miss this, so you really need to bear down on this. He died once for all, meaning he achieved a victory that no one else could do one time for all the sin of the world, for everybody who's ever lived, for those who believe. No one else could do that. So the New Testament writers stress over and over and over again the reality of this. This is where two more Bible verses come into play. So who had Hebrews chapter 7? Very good, Bruce. Would you read verses 26 and 27 for us? Excellent. Thank you for doing that. Did you catch that? He has no need to offer up sacrifices over and over and over and over. Why is that so important to these writers? Because that's what they had to do. Every time they sinned, sins are piling up. They gotta go to the priest, make a sacrifice, walk out of the temple. Oh, I screwed up again, I gotta go back and find the priest. Make a sacrifice, walk out of the temple. Oh, I screwed up again. i got to go find the priest. Over and over and over and over. I mean, like, how redundant is that? Jesus died once for all. So every time there's a failure in your life, there's a sin in your life, Jesus isn't nailed back to the cross again. He did it once for all, new hope. That speaks to the next verse that we're going to look at, First Peter 3.18. Who had that one? Okay, very good. Excellent, Byron, thank you very much. So emphasizing again, this once for all. So let me summarize for you what you hear Paul saying in verse 10, and we're we're just about into verse 11. That's all the further we're gonna go today. Let me summarize this. He's declaring that in Jesus, when Jesus did this, he died to the penalty of sin, right? What does that mean? He died to the penalty of sin by taking sin upon himself. The sins of the entire world, he paid the price for everyone who will trust in him. And I know you know this stuff, but we have to be reminded of this stuff, church. He died for everyone's sins, for those who will believe in him. So he died to the penalty of sin. But here's the second one. He died to the power of sin, meaning forever breaking the power of sin and its hold over you for those who belong to Jesus. So you've got this twin truth going on. Jesus was delivering us from the penalty and the power of sin. Both the penalty of it and the power of it. Both the penalty and the power. You getting tired of hearing that yet? Augustus, top lady, he didn't get tired of it. This this is a guy who lived in the 1800s and he wrote a song that many of you have probably heard if you grew up in church. You maybe even heard if you didn't grow up in church and you just, by watching television because Hollywood likes to make fun of the song as though it's the only song the church knows. It's called Rock of Ages, right? So I I want you to think of the lyrics to this song for just a minute. August Toplady was reading through Romans. He understood this twin truth that's going on. We've been delivered from the penalty and the power. So he wrote Rock of Ages, Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Catch this next phrase. Be of sin the double cure. Deal with the wrath and make me pure. Right? Hear that phrase. Be of sin the double cure. Saved from wrath. Make me pure pure. This is a twin truth coming out of this. Jesus dealt with the power and the penalty of sin over you, and verse 11 only gets better. Watch this. Even so, all those things, right? Even so, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Lean back into Romans 1 with me. If you were here, maybe maybe you weren't here, I'll, I'll just remind you of what it says. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all forms of ungodliness and unrighteousness. Romans chapter two, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Romans three, all fall short of the glory of God. And you come to Romans chapter six and in verse 11, it says, now you're alive to God. This is the same God who says you're dead in your sins. Something monumental must have happened. Absolutely phenomenal, and the answer to what happened is found in verse 11. It's found in the remainder of the sentence because what was dead is now alive, alive because of Christ Jesus. This this astonishing truth that you're watching unfold here is really made clear in John chapter 11. Uh, If you're not familiar with the story, I'll catch you up real quick on it. In John chapter 11, Jesus arrives at a cemetery and his best friend on, on planet earth as far as we know a guy he was really really close to his name is Lazarus is dead now Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days his sisters Mary and Martha know that he's dead there's no question he's dead dead when Jesus arrives on the scene there's a stone that's already been put over the tomb because it's a rotting corpse And so when Jesus says, remove the stone from the tomb, his sisters protest. They say, Jesus, don't do that. We don't want our brother remembered this way. He stinketh by now. Jesus says, remove the stone anyway, because did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the power of God on display? So Jesus, with just the power of his word, says, Lazarus, come forth. There's no AED equipment, right? Nobody's standing over Lazarus going, clear, boom. No, it's just the power of God's word. Jesus calls Lazarus forth. He stands at the entrance of the tomb. And what are the very first words that Jesus says for everyone who's watching? You see it on the screen. John 11:44 says, unbind him and let him go. Why? Because he's been raised to new life, right? Can't be bound in grave clothes anymore. He's been raised to walk in a new life. Too many Christians, from my observation, too many Christians today are living in the in-between stage. Living between Good Friday and Easter morning. Living between the death on the cross and the resurrection. Forgetting that we've been raised with Jesus Christ. Forgetting that we've been raised in resurrection power. Romans 6 is pointing to the fact that we've been unified with Jesus and that assures us because we are unified with him. We are already alive in Christ. You share in his resurrection power today. What does that mean to you? It means that a believer doesn't want to go back to the tomb and put on the old grave clothes. We don't want to be rewrapped in those linens. That's what they had to do for Lazarus. He left his grave clothes behind because those were the things he was buried with. Jesus is saying, leave that stuff behind. That's the old you. This is a really vivid picture of our condition at the time of belief. Immediately when you identified with Jesus Christ, your spiritual life began. You have new life. But the reality is, we're still incarcerated in this body of flesh. In other words, we're still bound by the grave clothes that wrap us And unfortunately, some of us are tempted to keep putting those grave clothes back on. And more and more, we want to walk in them. This is an ongoing battle. And that's what Romans 6 is talking about. Paul is speaking about issues that he's dealt with himself. It's a very real battle. And the battle of this old sinful nature is something that Paul owns. And he's not afraid to write about it. He confesses that even though he's an apostle, even though he's one of those that Jesus chose himself, this is something he still struggles with that he fully understands that he's alive in Christ, but sin keeps tugging at him. That's why you find him writing what he did in chapter seven. Let me just show you that. We'll get there in a couple months, but chapter seven verse 15 says this. You think I'm joking, I'm not. (laughs) Verse 15, for that which I am doing, check this, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. How many of us can identify with that, right? I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna be there. I wanna live in this righteousness that I'm told that I have, but I keep doing the very thing that I hate. Paul knows where the trouble sits. If you just go three verses forward, look what chapter seven also says in verse 18. I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, right? He's still incarcerated in this body. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Can you identify with that? That makes sense? I don't want to do this, but I do it. We pursue righteous living. We want to do it more successfully. You desire to live in a place where people would say to you on a daily basis, I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus in you. Wouldn't that be good to hear like once a week? Like, let alone once a day. Man, that'd be, like, awesome. But when's the last time you ever heard that? See, the the, the truth is it doesn't happen often because we know we struggle with this fallen body we're still incarcerated in. And we want to hear people say, man, there's a fragrant aroma about you. I see Jesus in what you're doing. Well, this last part of verse 11 really addresses that question. And it's obviously on Paul's heart. Here's the question. If we've been freed from sin, if we've died to this, why does it still haunt us? How do I live out this righteousness better? Let me take you into just two phrases to kind of land this plane. Romans 6, verse 11. There's just these two words, first of all, even so. Even so is this transitional phrase. You got your Bible open. You might even want to circle it. It has to do with what you're fully convinced of, what you're mentally convinced of. It's this transitional phrase that goes like this. On the basis of, well, on the basis of what, Paul? On the basis of everything that I just wrote in verses 1 through 10. On the basis of the truth that you know, that you're dead to sin and alive with Jesus. This is a really crucial transitional phrase here. Let me hit the pause button with you for just a minute. In raising our children, Lori and I realized that the best form of exhortation was always attached to knowledge. It's just kind of a complicated way of saying, if I explain things to the kids, they would do it, right? So on Saturday morning, if I gave out jobs to my children of things I wanted them to do around the house, we put together a little punch list, and if I sat down with them and explained, this is why I want you to do this, this, and this, they'd do it no problem, But if I went into the dad, I told you so because I'm your dad mode, you know, you get a little resistance, right? God doesn't treat us that way. God could have just given us a list of do's and don'ts and never explained to us why. He'd be justified in doing it and saying, because I said so. But he didn't choose to be dictatorial. So our God gives us reasons for his directives, like why he calls us to be holy. Why he raises the bar and says, I want you to be this way. Because he knows, he built us, he knows that we do things when we know things. We do because we know. Knowledge activates decisions, right? So God reveals his reasoning why he calls you to holy living. When he says, for instance, on the screen, Leviticus 1144, be holy. Why? Why? For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. You're made in the likeness of me. You're made in my image. See, for a Christian to live out the life that God's called us to, this new life, you must know, K-N-O-W, you must know. You are not what you used to be. You have to have that information. You must know that despite the conflict with sin, you are no longer under sin's domination. It doesn't rule you. You must know your true identity. As my friend Rich Bruce likes to say, you are who God declared you to be. Your true identity. You must know those things. So Paul says, even so... Even so, based on all that information that you were dead in Christ when you aligned yourself with him on the cross, you raised with Christ. You've got this new life. You've got to know those things. So verse 11, the last part, even so, consider yourselves. This word consider is the only Greek word I chose this morning. It's not even in your notes, but you are going to see it on the screen. And it's this word logizomai. Biblical Greek meaning to take an accounting of, right? So it's borrowed from the mathematical world or from accountants who lived in that day. And and Paul borrowed that language and brought it over here into Romans to take an inventory. In other words, this is what we're being called to do. He's he's issuing a proclamation saying, take a self-examination of yourself. Consider the reality of what you're hearing here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning and, and you're here at New Hope, you're watching online, you need to examine yourself. And when you examine yourself, you look at your own life And you recognize if you're being really honest, it's more than obvious that sin is still present. And no matter how radical our transformation to Jesus might have been, if we're really honest with ourselves, it's difficult to comprehend that the Holy Spirit of the living God is actually inside us. Because it just doesn't feel like it, right? Maybe sometimes when you show up at church on a Sunday morning and you sing, Great is thy faithfulness. You're like, oh yeah, I'm starting to feel it. Okay, I'm starting to feel holy. But by the time you hit the parking lot and you get in the car and somebody cuts you off in traffic, all right, okay, the great is thy faithfulness stuff is quickly departed from your mind. Not feeling quite so holy right now. Maybe in church you start feeling that way. Paul says, even so, consider. We have to tell ourselves this truth because it's God's word, first of all. But I'll come back to that in just a minute. There's reasons that you have a difficult time comprehending that you're free from the bondage of sin. And don't think it's just you. It's a common struggle. It's a common reality. Here's the first one. Many people do not know because they've never heard it. No one has ever told them that because of Jesus, God now sees you as holy. So therefore, we very quickly resign ourselves to the thought, well, this is the way it's always been. I guess this is the way it's always going to be. Here's a second reason, and we forget this one. We battle against an adversary. His name is Satan, and Satan loves to throw things up in our face, doesn't he? Now you're awake, because you know what I'm talking about. He does. He likes to say things like, you are such a screw-up. Do you remember when you did You're never going to amount to that. Why do you even try? And in those moments, Satan's trying to take domination back because if the enemy can think that he's still in control, that he still dominates, what does he do? He weakens your resolve. And he weakens you in your determination to walk righteously. Here's a third one. The the reality of being a new creation is not experiential. We occasionally hear about people who have radical transformation. Like, I came to Jesus and I had a lightning bolt moment and it just surged through me. We hear about that rarely, right? Many people would say, I wanted that. I'd like to experience that. But that's not reality. Most people don't experience that. It's not an experiential observation. You can't physically observe it. Salvation, most times, is not accompanied by this tangible experience, so therefore, it's very difficult to perceive that there's change. Here's a fourth one. This continued battle with sin, it it seems to be counterintuitive because when we come to church, we're told we're holy. We're told we're righteous. Somebody even makes a say on the count of three, I'm holy, right? But that doesn't match up with our real life experience. And so we think internally, if sin's control has really been beat, why am I struggling with this so much? Here's a fifth one that most people will never talk about. As a matter of fact, we think it internally, but we won't even say it to our closest friends. When we see someone else fail whom we assumed had a really strong walk with Christ, we immediately begin thinking, wow, if they can fall, what does that mean for me? what what do I do with that? If that person was like up here and I'm, I'm falling probably because they fall? Paul's got a really strong response to that thought process. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to Christ Jesus. This is not a mind game that Paul is playing with you where you keep saying something over and over and over again to the point where you finally get convinced of it. We know, New Hope, that we are dead to sin and alive to God because God's word declares it. Okay, I'll give you a count of three on that one again. We know that we are dead to sin and alive to God because God's word declares it, right? Okay, God's word declares it. He can't lie. He said it's true of you. This is a reality for you even if you don't feel like it. In other words, it is a truth truth of faith in your life. It's a truth of faith, therefore it's affirmed in faith. I was reading Dr. MacArthur's thoughts on this passage earlier this week and he had an interesting quote I wanted you to see because we all struggle with this. So John said it this way, until a believer accepts the truth that Christ has broken the power of sin, they cannot live victoriously because in their innermost being they do not think it's possible. Jesus has you, New Hope. He's got you wrapped in his righteousness. Quick illustration. Years ago in the Mexican-American War, while the two countries were battling against each other, um, on the Mexican side, they captured an American civilian, not a soldier, but an American citizen who wandered across the dividing line. And And thinking that they would make an example of this American citizen, the Mexican soldiers took the American citizen and decided they would execute him by a firing squad and tied him to a post. A commanding officer of the American military who was also in the same prison camp, ran to the barracks, grabbed a large American flag that they were allowed to keep, ran back out to the field where the firing squad was at and draped this man who was tied to the post in a very large American flag and then shouted back to the commanding officer of the Mexican troops, if you shoot this man, you will be shooting through the American flag and you will incur the wrath of the United States of America. At that, the commanding officer told his troops to put down their weapons because this man was draped in the flag of the United States. In the same way, Jesus has covered you in his righteousness. He has wrapped a robe around you. You need a visual image for that? Look with me up on the screen at Isaiah 61.10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. It's good, right? We need somebody who's got artistic talent to take that verse and put it to an image. That'd be cool to see. God has wrapped you just like a flag said, I got you. I have covered you in my righteousness. Who wrapped us, church? Who did the wrapping? It's Jesus. And we are redeemed in his power. And we are held in his power. It's a twin truth because God says so. He says you're not only redeemed, you are held by me. To end this very quickly, three outcomes for you. Three outcomes if you live in this reality. You'll see each one of them on the screen. In the midst of being tempted you can have confidence knowing that you can stand in the midst of the temptation because of God's power. What does God's own word say? 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. In other words, you aren't going through anything that somebody else didn't go through before you. It's common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able to endure. Because he gives a way of escape. So that's a truth. Take that with you into the fight. You have confidence in knowing that in the tempting, you can stand. Here's the second one. Have confidence because you're saved by God's power. God's power alone. You know what that means? That means you are kept by God's power. So that translates to this reality. You cannot out-sin God, you can't. You can't out-sin God. His grace is greater than all my sin, right? That's what the song says, that's what scripture says. You can't out-sin Him, don't try to by the way, but you can't do it, God's grace is greater. Watch how Jesus said it, you said Jesus is God, this is how God said it, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. I'd be really good if it ended right there. I mean, he could just put an exclamation point on that. My father, he's greater than all. But he went on to say it this way. My father is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Even when you think you have fallen too far, God says, I've got you. You believe in my son, I've got you wrapped in a robe of righteousness. It is not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon what you can do. So those two realities take you to this last one. That means all those are true. You can therefore have confidence in the face of death. In the face of physical death, because Jesus, period, kills, period, death, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. How do we know that? Because God said so. In the face of physical death, this is what he said, John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. yeah. See, you're warmed up now. We could go like another 40 minutes, all right? Okay, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that to you. All these things are true because you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's verse 11, right? I'm gonna pray with you, and it's gonna be a supernatural prayer for this. There's a great possibility you're gonna forget this come this afternoon. I'm gonna ask God supernaturally to help you remember this, even when the guy cuts you off in the street, okay? Let's pray that way. Father, we, we come completely and utterly and humbly dependent upon you, asking that you would do for us supernaturally what we can't seem to do on our own, which is to help us to remember. We need to remember, Father, better who you declared us to be. Your word has said it, but we quickly forget. Even in this moment, Father, there's some of us that are thinking about cell phone calls and reaching for our car keys. Help us, Father, to focus. Focus us on the reality that you said we are alive in Christ Jesus. Even when there's things around us that cause us to feel otherwise. Otherwise. I can't think of a better thing to ask you for than to remind us of this truth. We pray for this in Jesus' matchless name. And all the children of the King said, Amen. Have a great week, New Hope.